Southeast Radio's Business Matters with Carl Fitzpatrick. Good morning, I'm Carl Fitzpatrick and welcome to Business Matters. Well, over the past few weeks, we have seen extensive media coverage with regard to the complications which Brexit is having on goods travelling between Ireland and the UK. Here to tell us about the extent of this problem and the other challenges which Brexit has caused for the freight industry is Aidan Flynn from the Freight Transport Association of Ireland. Aidan, before we discuss the realities of a post-Brexit market for the industry, what is the Freight Transport Association of Ireland and what services do you provide? Well, the Freight Transport Association of Ireland is a multimodal representative trade association uh, established in Ireland over 10 years. We actually celebrated 10 years in 2020. Um, We represent our members, so we will have a broad uh, church of membership, including uh, those in the retail, manufacturing, uh, distribution sector, as well as international and national haulage operators and passenger uh, bus operators as well. We provide... uh, a good suite of services to our members from from specialised training um, to driver CPC, transport manager CPC and uh, safe and secure loading and so on, um, as well as consultancy services. And typically, Aidan, what size is the industry here in Ireland? Well, look, I mean, it's a significant, the freight distribution logistics sector is a significant industry uh, contributing over a billion euro uh, to Ireland's GDP with over 50,000 people directly involved in the industry. The freight industry is now operating in a post-Brexit environment, but from a practical perspective, what changes have occurred for the freight industry since the 1st of January? There's significant changes. I suppose while we've been uh, embroiled in, in understanding the consequences of Brexit for the last four and a half years or so, kind of seeing is really believing in the last uh, number of weeks. There, there, while there is a, a trade agreement and, and we welcomed that and it was very important from a commercial uh, transport perspective because it is agreed uh, access to markets that allow trucks uh, drive to the UK uh, from Ireland and, and vice versa. Um, there, there are significant issues because there is still requirements for customs uh, declarations, for additional uh, safety and security declarations, for pre-boarding notifications and so on. A lot of administrative burden and red tape. There's uh, new requirements for the movement of food uh, along the lines of sanitary and phytosanitary checks. Um, you know, so, so there's significant issues and, and uh the supply chain is only as strong as its weakest link and, and the issue for, for us here in Ireland, no matter how well prepared we were, um, our biggest import market in particular and a, and a significant export market for us, obviously we weren't as reliant on it as we were in the past, is, is Great Britain. Um, and if they aren't prepared, um, it has a significant uh, consequence for us and, and we are finding uh, that there is a significant level of unpreparedness in, in the United Kingdom. So has stockpiling been a consequence of all of that? Well, I think stockpiling, you know, is, is nearly a new word for, for, for all of us um, uh, running up to the end of the year. It was, it was definitely happening to, to a certain degree. But, I mean, the, the fact is in Ireland, we, we don't have an awful uh, big ability to, to do a lot of stockpiling because we just didn't have the appropriate standard of warehousing 
um, uh, to uh, hold a, a, an awful lot of goods in. But it, it did it did help a little bit at the start of the year because volumes are, uh, you know, it's a quiet time of the year at the start of the year normally, but, but it's unnaturally quiet because of uh, the run on products uh, in terms of this stockpiling uh, towards the end of the year. But, but also now the consequence... Um, uh, of the fact that goods really haven't been able to move because of all these new administrative uh, requirements and and the burden that I've outlined uh, previously. And specifically in relation to the customs declarations, what are the most common mistakes that are being made by businesses with this paperwork? If I was to start saying that new relationships and arrangements have to be made, number one, you know, they're, they're, we've lost the expertise and confidence in, in customs because of, it's one of the benefits of the single market and the, and the customs union that we've got used to over the last 25 years or so. We haven't had to, to deal with any of these uh, issues that we're now faced with. And also, the, the previous guidelines we had, like you're looking at maybe 50,000 units a year going over to the UK, that's up to a tenfold now. It's, it's over half a million a, a year uh, over uh, each each way, so uh, there's nothing to compare what what trade was like uh, previously. Um, so so the customs requirements now require new relationships. Uh, they they require competent agents, um, and and they require an alignment, a, a new contractual arrangements. And you know we're finding that hauliers in particular are getting caught in the middle here of no no fault of their own uh, freight forwarders and consigners and consignees all of these people in the mix have to really uh, uh, and are trying to understand uh, the new consequences of, of the customs requirements uh, coupled with that uh, there's teething problems with the systems because you know where where people are putting uh, their doc their their information into the systems, you know, there's duplication. So if there's a number of different agents in, in the flow, uh, there's more likely to be mistakes. Um, and then the new systems implemented by, by revenue in terms of a pre-boarding notification, which you need to have to get onto a ferry. Um, um, uh, if, if that isn't done correctly, it's adding another a layer of, of problems. So we're finding that some companies are able to do it and those companies that are able to do it have more control over, over these systems. Uh, and also, you know, the less goods on, on, a, on a consignment, you know, one, 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 one consignment, one load, it's all obviously an awful lot easier uh, than those that are in the group which are, are in the e-commerce perspective where, where there's multiple items and loads requiring multiple uh, customs clearance documents and so on. And of course, Glenn Carr, the general manager of Rossler Europort, has secured significant additional capacity to mainland Europe as a result of Brexit. Yeah, I think one of the things that, that certainly from the Freight Transport Association of Ireland's perspective that we've been looking at over the, over the years is, is, you know, the rough diamond, I suppose, that is Rossler and the opportunities that are there in terms of connectivity with continental Europe. The single market and the customs union, to avail of those benefits, we need to be dealing directly with, with our with, with our uh, European uh, colleagues. So the land bridge gets you into Calais. Our, our, our biggest markets are in the more pop, uh, popular, dense areas of, of Eastern Europe, such as, you know, Belgium, the Netherlands, Germany, and so on. Cherbourg was really there to benefit the passenger uh, uh, tourism sector in normal times. And of course, you know, there was freight used on it and it was important. But what we wanted was to see if we could get more direct routes into, into continental Europe. So seeing the new Ross Laird on Kirk route was a, a real boost um, at the right time. You know, the first ferry left on the 2nd of January. 
And that's a real alternative to the land bridge. But the key with all of these things, connectivity, is, is the frequency of the ferry sailings. And, and that's what the other benefit of the land bridge is that there's so many ferry sailings between, you know, Rosslare and and Pembroke and, and uh, Fishguard and, and um, Dublin then and Hollyhead and so on. There's, you know, I think maybe 27 sailings a week there was uh, with traditionally maybe 17 sailings to continental Europe. Now the, the direct ferries to um, uh, from Rosslare is increasing that significantly. Uh, the movement of Stena and Irish ferries to daily services to, to Cherbourg is really helping as well. But we actually need to see and more uh, services put on those direct routes. And now that we have secured this additional capacity for Rosslare Europort to mainland Europe, what area would you like to see Rosslare Europort develop next? Well, I mean, Rosslare is, you know, there, there's obviously we want to, you know, for all of us to be able to go back on holidays again and, and the passenger services. And I think the fact that there's additional services on these new routes op- opens other, other routes for, for passenger movements as well. Um, you know, it is a traditional roll-on, roll-off uh, port, but there there is quite a bit of, of development to be done in Rosslare from an infrastructure perspective, from a traffic management perspective, uh, an access and egress perspective for the port. So we want to see that investment go into the port over the next couple of years and really see it establish itself. We want to get it changed from uh, you know, a tier two uh, registered uh, port to a tier one, which which automatically, uh, you know, makes it more competitive for for European funding and for investment as well, which is really really important. Um, and we want to see a kind of a more coordinated strategic approach from from all of our ports in Ireland, uh, but particularly those the key ones on the the east coast, and and to see, you know, Waterford uh, develop itself as well, because th- these have been underutilised. Uh, you know ports to date and I think where where Rosslare can expand itself it'll have a knock on a positive impact on Waterford as well which will be good good for industry. And Aidan is the Freight Transport Association of Ireland now happy with the level of capacity that's operating directly to mainland Europe from the range of ports that are operating here in Ireland? No, not really. I suppose you know, kind of back back of a pack of cigarette type of calculations here. You know, if, you, if you're looking at 150,000 units using the land bridge, um, and you look at the volumes that were going out of Rosslare to continental Europe already, and, and even out of, out of Dublin, um, you know, one new ferry on, on the route isn't near enough uh, to take uh, significant capacity, significant volumes off that land bridge. So, um, you know, we, we just don't need the ferries uh, to take uh, additional capacity. We need the ferries to drive com- competition in, into these routes because, you know, they are more expensive uh, than the traditional way of getting to market. And, and that's really important for industry. And, you know, one, one of the things we're, we're looking to, to government to do, and indeed the EU Commissioner, who good results for, from the Irish perspective to get so much of the EU um, adjustment fund, um, over 20% of it, um, we we need to get some of that uh, diverted into the freight distribution logistics sector to support the haulage industry and, and to support our industry in terms of looking to subsidise some of these routes. And just finally on that, Aidan, is the Freight Association of Ireland calling for government to bring about any changes which would assist the industry during this transition period? 
So there's a number of things that we're, we're trying to do, and we've seen a little bit of easements, but, but they're, they're negligible and have been negligible. You know, we really do believe that there should be an adjustment period. And, you know, if it takes weeks to get in, it'll be better than nothing. Like, But it needs to be planned and and uh, taught through enough that it will ultimately support, uh, you know, upskilling and training of customs brokers uh, help industry understand and adapt to the new regulatory requirements and, and really as importantly kind of help revenue and, and inspectors and revenue and Department of Agriculture and so on uh, to understand what their obligations are that their system works seamlessly so we are looking for an adjustment period for up to six months uh, the correct use of this money that we've got from the Brexit um, adjustment fund um, that needs to go into to training you know so all the training that's required for customs related for the haulage sector in terms of understanding what they need to do, the support for the haulage sector as they adopt, because if we can't keep the, the wheels moving, these guys aren't making money, you know, and they, they can't survive without that. They're operating very, very tight margins. And so the, the list is, is nearly endless at this stage, but, but we realise at the end of the day, the United Kingdom have left the European Union. We, we accept and realise that there is a new trading reality, uh, but we do need support, um, as do revenue and uh, state bodies, to adapt to the, new, to the new trading requirements. Well, if you've just tuned in, that was Aidan Flynn from the Freight Transport Association of Ireland, and I would like to thank Aidan for sharing the reality of a post-Brexit market for the freight industry here in Ireland. Southeast Radio's Business Matters with Carl Fitzpatrick.